Welcome to The Real Zodiac, a film retrospective podcast dedicated to reminding or introducing you to some of the most iconic films of all time, stirring up memories of ones you forgot or wish you could forget, and every film in between. Your hosts will be your tour guides and sometimes companions along this journey down the rabbit hole. Be warned, though, there will be blood, guts, more than a few bullet casings, love, despair, tears of joy, and cries of agony. Some from the hosts themselves, because some of these movies will make them wonder why did they choose these movies. Good luck, oh, and of course, enjoy the ride. When's your birthday? I never had a birthday. His name is David. I feel it. That's creepy. Whoa. That's so real. <laughs> in a distant future, in an age of intelligent machines, he is the first robotic child programmed to love and coexist as a member of a family. His is a tale of humanity and a journey to find his place among humans and machines. I'm a boy. You are a real boy. At least as real as I've ever made one. All right, hey, welcome to Real Zodiac. I'm Amanda and with me is the uh, Spielberg to my Kubrick, Quentin. Well, thank you, Amanda. I don't know <laughs> if there's a higher name that you could have uh, attached me to. Thank you so much. Oh, yeah. Like, uh, yeah. If you guys couldn't tell, um, we are covering the movie AI today from uh, 2001. Um, man. Uh, <laughs> This definitely, um, I'm a huge Kubrick fan, and um, I don't know, are you familiar with the films, Quentin? I mean, I'm familiar with Kubrick very much. His um, A Clockwork Orange is mm-hmm. one of my favorite movies that mm-hmm. uh, he's done. So, so good. And I remember just watching that randomly. So, like, I was pretty excited for this film because I knew his name was attached to it and Spielberg. But this is my first time seeing it. Oh, fantastic. Um yeah, it was uh, it was sort of on my list, but not on my list because I love Kubrick. Like I used to have his whole collection of VHS tapes, and I oh literally have no idea what happened to them. Um, I know I loaned a few out, but <laughs> I don't have any of them anymore. So I was like, did I loan all of them out? But like I even right. had like the the double VHS of Barry Lyndon. And if anybody's ever made it through that, please let me know <laughs> because. <laughs> No one else has ever watched it besides myself. But uh, yeah, I don't know. Maybe maybe our guest Kay. Have you have you watched a lot of Kubrick at all? Yes, I've watched a fair amount. I've still not yet seen Clockwork Orange because it was banned in the UK. For, you just didn't <gasps> want it broadcast in the UK for so long, so it was just wow. not really as available. I do have it on DVD now, so it is on my list of my ever increasing list. But I have oh. actually seen um, which one was it? The um, the one you lost the double VHS of. His name, I've oh, already forgotten. Barry Lyndon? Yeah, the Barry Lyndon. I've watched that one. 
No way! I've watched Barry Lyndon. Yes. <laughs> Yay! I found the one person that's watched it, and I had no idea. This is not a setup, guys, at all. <laughs> <laughs> that's hysterical! Oh my gosh. Um, <laughs> It was very yeah, beautiful. It was very long. I wasn't that very impressed. <laughs> I wasn't that impressed either. It's probably my least favorite. It is my least favorite Kubrick film. Not yeah, gonna lie. I think it's just, it's just it looked amazing. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. just the whole thing looked beautiful. Um, but I was just like, I I don't like this. And I'm sitting there thinking, I know I'm supposed to like this, <laughs> but I don't yeah. like it very much. So. I know. Um, I think it. You could put it on mute and just have it playing in the background, like if you had like a, a like a a hipster bar or something like that yeah and it would be completely fine you know what i mean yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. oh that's so funny um yeah so ai um Kay, is this uh your first time watching it no i saw it in the cinema when it first came out but it's the <gasps> oh, first wow. time i've seen it in probably well over 10 years okay nice so what did you think about it on your uh first viewing I think I really enjoyed it. Um, I wasn't too sure about the ending. I think originally, um, the ending, the ending now is very uh, emotional. I think, mm-hmm. and I think it is the right ending. Um, I, oh yeah, I can't wait to. I, get ne- I needed that a bit. lot of schnapps after that ending. <laughs> <laughs> I needed a teddy bear. Oh, oh God. I, I, I went up to the kitchen to talk to my housemate, and she said, "Oh, how did it end?" And I was suddenly like, <laughs> and started crying and laughing at the same time because I couldn't tell her without crying, and that made me laugh. And it was just like, I was a mess. She's just looking at me, so going, she's like, "What are you Don't doing?" <laughs> Don't watch it. Do watch it. I'm not sure. <laughs> oh, I was full on sobbing, blocked up nose, really ugly crying at the end of it. I was completely fine up until that ending. And then it just really, really mm-hmm. got to me. So. Oh, gosh. Yeah. yeah. So um, for those that don't know about AI, um, this was a concept. Um, I think Kubrick started rolling around this idea um, from like the late 70s and into the 80s. And kind of rolling around the whole idea of, um, oh, gosh, uh, the story from Brian Aldiss. What, what yeah, Super, Super Toys, Toys Last All Summer Long. Yep. And uh, Pinocchio, basically, which that's what we have in this film. But he had been rolling around this concept and trying to just mold this thing about for quite a while. And I think he eventually got... Um, got Brian Aldiss to kind of create the first part of this movie. And then Kubrick was started, you know, like writing and drawing out like um, the different scenes from, for the rest of the film. But he knew like he had this idea, which was just back in the late seventies, early eighties, but he knew that film wise technology wasn't there to portray what the story would be that he had created. And, yeah, Spielberg and Kubrick kind of became close friends and he'd wanted to mold this story about and wanted to produce it, but still uh, have Spielberg uh, direct it. But Spielberg was like, I don't know, like the story. I mean, it's a way different concept for Spielberg to do. <laughs> and uh, I guess Kubrick, like each each of these guys appreciated and loved uh, one another's work 
And from what I understand is Kubrick, like, you know, towards the end of his life, I mean, like right before this, he did Eyes Wide Shut. Don't know if either of you have seen that. Is yes, not seen that no. one yet. Nicole <laughs> yep, Nicole Kidman and Tom Cruise. Yeah, I've right. not seen I've, that. I've, I've seen the seen costumes when I went to the Kubrick exhibition in London, but oh, I haven't actually seen you that. You have not gone to the... Oh, my God, I'm so jealous. Um, <laughs> <laughs> was that so amazing? It was. Yeah, I was just coincidentally in London. Two, that was two years ago. Uh, so oh, I met wow. up with one of my friends who's also into cinema. So it was just a, a really exhibition of all his notes and, like, the cameras that he had and some costumes oh. and... It um, displayed oh. the a lot of stuff from The Shining. It had like the maze set up from The Shining and stuff like that. So. Oh, that's amazing! I would I'll love have to, to show you some pictures that. at some point of my um, gigantic Kubrick book that I bought off my friend for ten dollars, which was an absolute steal. The first half of it is just all pictures from his films. So oh, that's I've fantastic! I've yet to pile into that one. I'm still finishing another book, but uh, yeah, it's it's a gorgeous home and it's probably worth way more than ten dollars so oh, I, I guarantee you that's, I'll, <laughs> way more than I'll buy that off of you that. for way more than ten dollars <laughs> yeah <laughs> oh man so uh yeah like Kubrick and Spielberg both appreciated each other's works but from what I have read and understand is that Kubrick after Eyes Wide Shut and had for a while wanted to create a film that felt more Spielbergian and he felt that maybe this this story that he had created would be something that Spielberg could tackle. And so he'd ask Spielberg to direct it. And then Spielberg was like, oh, I don't know if I can do this. Like, you're so amazing. And this is like a different concept for me. Kind of went back and forth. And then Kubrick passed away, unfortunately. And kind of almost as like a, I don't know, as, as an honor to a friend to uphold something that had already essentially been created. It just had not been made. Spielberg did this film AI. And um, I don't know about you guys. um, Watching this initially, did you feel like it was more kind of like a Spielberg, like kind of like a, I'll put in, you know, like finger quotes, feel good fuzzy film or did you feel like it was more kind of like a Kubrick like this is so bizarre and weird or maybe a combination yeah I was gonna say can I can I say both Mm -hmm. because there's aspects of the film that feel very Kubrickian um but I could see like Spielberg's stamp on this film so clearly and I don't know if it's just because you know we saw Amblin you know was at the beginning of this but I don't know. I mean, obviously Spielberg has a certain level whenever he directs a film and he always is able to capture that in every film he does. And I felt that in this, but you could definitely tell that this was this was definitely a partnership because this movie did not go the way that I thought it would um, at all. And so. It's it's going to be I'm I'm curious to see what uh you guys think of just like the whole film as a whole but like to me it it did it felt like a love letter to Kubrick from um Spielberg but man it was just such an odd film <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm trying to you know I'm not Yay. trying to like give away too much but I I definitely feel like this is 
totally one of a kind. It mm-hmm. is. It is a very unique film. It's. Uh, I think what it was from the extras that I was watching off my my lovely DVD set that I ordered to watch it again. Um, what happened was it was Kubrick's widow that contacted Spielberg and basically said, "If you don't make it, it's not getting made," because it Damn. was something that was such a close partnership between the two. I think. Right. Kubrick wanted Spielberg to di- to direct and he would produce it. So he was still going to have like um, a lot of input, I think. And oh, yeah. uh, Spielberg <laughs> pretty much stuck to what all the storyboards that Kubrick had. And mm-hmm. There were some things that he added in and apparently it's the slightly darker elements is what Spielberg added in. That's... He added in the whole flesh fair and it's, um yeah, I think he had a chance to sort of expand his, his um repertoire of actually having things that are actually slightly darker. Um, yeah, and that's what I that's what I uh, delved into too because like after watching it, because I knew this was like Kubert tied, but I didn't know all the history when I first watched it, and I it was on my list to watch, and I just have never done it because I, I maybe I'm a okay whatever I'm not the biggest Spielberg fan, and I know that makes me a horrible film person, but no, it, <laughs> it does not make you a horrible film person. I'm just <laughs> I'm just not wild about his films like the general population is. I'm. I'm just not. <laughs> I mean, there's films I do enjoy and like, but I don't rewatch them. I'm like, oh, it's Spielberg. It's great. You know, like like Kubrick. That's my man, you know. And so I kind of had like a little like a snubbery to this a little bit where I was like, Spielberg and Kubrick. Mm-hmm. And so I never made myself sit down and watch it. But uh, one day I had my YouTube on watching something and I just kind of let it run and started cleaning my house or going about doing things and I came back and it's on it's free on YouTube folks um it popped up AI and I was like oh what is this and I sat down it's like oh it's that one little kid that you know now he's like grown you know I think he has like a beard now like (laughs) whatever (laughs) he's was like the major kid actor for this decade of the early 2000s you know yeah. It's in a lot of things, but I was like, oh, I was like, all right. I was like, if you two put it on, I'm going to like sit down and watch this movie. It's like, apparently Kubrick's coming from beyond the grave and making me watch this film. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, um, I definitely um, my yeah, my first go around, I was trying to put past my attitude against Spielberg and. Just watching the film as a whole, I could see like the the cinematic choices and things done, which I felt like I could see like the storyboard where like Kubrick is like, this scene has to be this way. This scene has to be this way. And the concept of the story um, felt very Kubrick, but I could feel the layer of Spielberg kind of like lathered on top like butter, if that makes sense. It does. Um, yeah. <laughs> Okay, and yeah, I I did not hate this movie. I know it's had like a lot of initial reactions, but I've also discovered over time like other movie reviewers that had an attitude against this when it was first released have now come back and reassessed and have had differing opinions, which I found really interesting. But um, yeah, um, I could tell that this... Uh, finding out that Kubrick was trying to do a movie more of a Spielberg style makes sense considering what the movie's addressing and how it goes and the ending, which 
I don't know about any of you all, but <laughs> initially I was like, oh, this ending is all Spielberg 100%, which it's not. Yeah. It is not Spielberg at all. <laughs> <laughs> which, you know, stepping back and thinking about it even more, I'm like, no, 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 that makes complete sense. Yes, this is a, yeah, makes 100% sense for as much as you can make sense of it. But, uh, yeah. Um, AI released in 2001. We kind of went through the history, but the uh, first act of the story is kind of a, the Pinocchio story where we talk about David, the robot, who is brought into a family where um, the parents have had an accident with their son who's being basically kept on in a stasis mode that he might uh, come out of it. But the mom is, like, super sad. So the dad's picked to kind of host this artificial child that uh, once you program him to have super love connection, like, love a parent, um, that's who who he's going to connect to. And it's kind of, yeah, like this kid that ends up loving his mother, this robot kid that loves his mother. Um, (laughs) And then we hit like a second act where it goes into the whole world of AI and what the world has become with these artificial bodies and people and what they go through. And I guess like the third act is kind of like a a weird reveal we'll get to and then the ending. But uh, yeah, if we if you guys want to delve into like that, that first act, this whole. Pinocchio story and Haley Joel Osment. Yeah, go ahead. Um, so we're in the 22nd century, and it says that rising sea levels from the global warming mm-hmm. that are getting rid of the cities. So the the mecha are the humanoid robots. Um, are they there to basically fill out the existence of humans, or yeah. like what what is the reasoning for them being brought in? Because you could only have a child with a license, so they were mm-hmm. doing a massive amount of population control. So I presume a lot of populations, were di- I think they said a lot of populations were displaced, a lot of people died of hunger and starvation. So I, I assumed that the whole global population had reduced down so much that the more what has clearly still perceived as menial tasks, as nannying, security guarding, like really essential workers are getting mm-hmm. replaced um, with, um, with the Mecca. Got you. Okay. That was like a big question that I had, and that might have been explained a little later. Um, but it was it was just interesting to see um like the reasoning for it and everything. And I do want to say it was very interesting, you know, seeing some characters we or some actors we've seen before, William Hurt in the beginning, mm-hmm. um, as Professor Hobby, and then you guys saw Clark Gregg, right? Who's Clark Gregg? Agent Coulson. Oh, oh my God, no! Which one yeah. was Agent Coulson? He was the he was in the meeting at the beginning, and then he was seen a little oh. bit later. But like he has a speaking part, but you don't see his face when he speaks. It's so weird. Like it it was just so random to see him in there, and he's basically just playing a glorified extra. Oh, that's crazy. That's wild. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I think, just wanted to mention that. 
And I think the gal at the beginning that was like the initial um, AI in the presentation, I've seen her like as an extra and little bits of things too. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. I mm-hmm. But yeah, what do you guys uh, think of this whole concept of bringing in an AI child that's going to um, latch on and love the one person he connects with, the human he connects with? Just, just that whole concept. I don't even know. I feel like there's so much to say about this movie. <laughs> uh, I mean, Kate, yeah. please take it away. Yeah, I do think it's a it's a very odd idea. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't understand why they've done it. You can sort of say, well, it's understandable if people only have a child through a license that maybe that that human urge to have a child for so many people um, gets satisfied. But at the same time, it's like, why why would you do that? Because you're not going to last forever. Mm-hmm. You know, it's that it's that constant human thing of like, we'll do this. And we don't think of the future consequences that when in 50 years time, you'll have all these robot children missing their parents and not growing older. OK, it's, you say it's missing very, very parents. odd. <laughs> OK, you, <laughs> you say, say missing their bonded with them yeah. that way. That it'd be like, uh, you know, that connection is no longer there. So in 50 years time, what, what happens to them then? It's that that we don't think as human beings as a future or what the future consequence of what we're doing is. Mm-hmm. And like the, that you chose the word missing because for all of us that, you know, like, I mean, whether we want to or not, and I'm a not person, um, like <laughs> we interact with AI every day, all the time, like through our phones, our computers, all that stuff. Um <laughs> Yeah, but, but my phone doesn't is, miss me when I put it down and forget about it for a while. So. Right. <laughs> hey, you don't so like, that. and they kind of they kind of try to create like you know like AI does not have feelings, but this film, and this is why I'm like this is so Kubrick. It's like the only person that can make a film where I'm just like having feelings for artificial intelligence and robots had to be Kubrick because no one else could do that for me. But because <laughs> I'm yeah. like I'm anti all of it. Where I'm like nope 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 no nope nope nope. <laughs> I'm sticking uh-huh. with humans, um, but this film really kind of shows you, like, even though, quote unquote, they don't have feelings, but they're programmed to react to certain things in certain ways. And essentially, that's the exact same way that humans react to situations. Like, if you're in danger, you try to survive. If you're struggling, you try to figure it out. And if you're injured or hurt or hurt um just even with a uh, jude law's character trying to protect david like <laughs> like that that's a human emotion that's a human reaction but they've programmed they have been programmed and programmed themselves or however that works to do the same things that humans do so i'm like where's the line like what's the difference like oh yeah, I yeah, didn't want to feel felt, bad for an AI, but I totally did. <laughs> I felt so bad for this kid. <laughs> yeah. I felt bad for all of them, to be honest. It was yeah. very, although I did feel that sense of awareness and sort of um, intelligence was very varied across the different mecha, almost like they were on the cusp of changing. Because you had Teddy, 
who is very much like, I am not a toy. And he sounds oh, very, God. it's made to say, and you sit there and that's quite an emotional reaction to being treated a particular way. Right. Um, and then you have uh, Jude Lord's character um, is very, he's very aware when he is in trouble. You know, mm-hmm. his, his seduction follows a particular pattern probably for each, each encounter. Mm-hmm. Um, but then you have the nurse that he, that um, David encounters and she's like, do you need a nanny? I have good qualifications. Almost like she's completely like that was the limit of her programming and she will see a child and ask if it needs something. But she didn't seem aware that the bad thing, that the really bad thing that was going to happen to her. Mm-hmm. She was still smiling at the end and kind of like almost unaware. She literally had no concept. Whereas Jude Law's character did and Teddy did. Yep, so I agree. There is a variety of um, you felt there was a variety of types of AI, at least throughout the whole thing. Right. Yeah. And I call those two characters like I mean, they're obviously like the Geppettos of the Pinocchio story, you know, mm-hmm. exactly. <laughs> protecting David, helping David and caring for him where it's like, but they're not supposed to have feelings, but I don't know if he can still call them feelings, but they are reactions, but that's what humans do as well. So yeah, we react to things and we have feelings and we would do the same thing. Right. <laughs> yeah. We, we are a result of programming of our childhood. You know, mm-hmm. it's uh Calling it artificial say, intelligence is probably maybe the wrong thing to call it. I do want to say that I think Teddy was definitely my favorite character in this whole film mm-hmm. just because of like his allegiance to David and just um, he could kind of see and and understand what he's going through. And anytime mm-hmm. David was about to do something not wrong, but like, you know, kind of reckless. He'd be like, "Come on, David." You know, like he was just kind of the conscience there, and I loved it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was very Jiminy Cricket, but he was very yeah. well aware. Oh, yeah, of what Jiminy the Cricket, between not Geppetto. <laughs> a toy and something that you used, because he was like, "I am not a toy." In the helicopter, he's very much, "This is not a toy." You know, that is not a toy. <laughs> he was everything he related to was either a toy or not a toy, which I thought was quite <laughs> fun. So. Oh, so and wild. I wouldn't expect a bear to have that deep of a voice, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and so when he spoke, and he's like, "I am not a toy," I was like, "Oh shit," you know, because he, he gave like when a... he said that though. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I think he wasn't that the around the time of um, Toy Story as well. It was, I think, at the time it was meant to be a funny sort of sort of knock to Pixar like. <laughs> Pixar was like, "I am oh, not I a like toy." That. <laughs> I like that. Oh. That's funny. And it's so true. But yeah, like <laughs> I'm the person that's just like, nope to AI. But um, yeah, watching like the Brave Little Toaster as a kid, I would then think that, you know, things around me had feelings that were <laughs> just objects. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, this movie did not help any of that. Um, <laughs> but yeah, what did you think about um, just this? this David imprinting on just one person because it is satisfying uh, the mother's need or her loss or uh, her grief. But I don't know if I could do that. 
Yeah, I, I think that I because was... he never imprinted with the father. And yeah, the father at the and very beginning when he out. brought David home was always referring to him as it. Mm-hmm. And the yeah. mother and the mother was always referring to him as him. I thought it was so kind was... of a dick dick move on the dad's <laughs> part to like just kind of bring bring David home without mm-hmm. really talking to her, you know? And then she's like looking yeah. or and then he's like you don't have to make the choice now, but you know, if you don't, you know, you got to imprint on him and stuff. You know, it's just I know it's, you know, to get the story rolling, but I just thought there was like no discussion beforehand. Mm-hmm. You know? Like I know that yeah. uh he had a talk with I guess what, her psychologist or whatever or whoever he was talking to um whenever she was checking up on other kid. Oh, uh, what's his name? Oh, Martin. the Mark. The, yeah. the brother. I was trying to think of Martin. Um, whenever she's, you know, just kind of like hovering over Martin and stuff and he's talking to that other guy, I just feel like that would be a conversation that you would have before you start any other action. But I would think so, too. I would hope that that would be a conversation because yes. it's, it's kind of like uh, I I haven't had. um Obviously, haven't had a kid to have a loss to understand that level of grief. But, man, like, <laughs> just to bring home basically a, a boy in a box, essentially, and be like, he could be your kid now, too, where you could cope with this. Where I'm like, is that healthy? Is that not healthy? Aren't you supposed to go through stages? Um, I don't know. Yeah, I think Almost. her stages were probably very messed up by the fact that her actual child was in in cryostasis. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You can't give that. You can't clearly can't let go. Right. But he's still there, so you still have the fear. You still have all that love, and he's still there, but he's not there at the same time. So um, mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure that disrupts the stages of grief and sort and, of processing what's happened. Yeah, absolutely. I really loved how later on they do reintroduce martin because it gives you this angle of like what are they going to do whenever they do have two quote-unquote children in the house and i mean we we see it a little later on but for like a good portion of this film i didn't know where this film was going to be going like I, i i hate to uh reference films that happen after this film but my mind went to um the orphan i don't know if you guys mm-hmm. have seen that we're like yeah it has a i dark was past. yeah i kind of went to that level when i first started watching this film i was like something something shady is gonna happen because like yeah. this kid's gonna be like overly loving and psycho like exactly and kudos to the movie of doing a good job of like spinning it on its head and making it a different story because that's not what we get i mean we we internally think that um, we're going to be following the mom and dad throughout this whole film. You know, I I thought they were going to be our main characters throughout Mm -hmm. this whole thing. And for the fact that we're switching it to the focal point of David, the entire film is so cool because you're, you're seeing the world through his eyes and we're seeing this world for the first time as well. And so it that's, that's where I got the Spielberg. You know, I feel like with Kubrick, um, if we just stuck with, you know, what was given, it would it would kind of have that element of not horror, but like that thrilling aspect. But I see a lot of Spielberg in just the way that we're following and seeing everything through 
uh, David's eyes as he's seeing it. And going on this other adventure with Jude Law's character and Teddy, like it, that's where I get that whimsical adventure sort of. I mean, obviously it kind of turns when they get, get to the moon, but I'll leave that, you know, a little more later. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, just still talking about this first act, like, yeah, like you said, uh, Martin coming back and there's that scene where Martin sets Teddy like between the two, the two boys. And he's like, we'll see who Teddy comes to first. And Teddy's just like, um, yeah, I don't want to make this choice, which in my head, I was like, well, I feel like AI is going to go towards AI, but he's been with Martin the longest. Like, what is he going to choose? And then mom comes in and he's like, I'm out. I'm yeeting out of this situation. And I'm going to mom being like, your kids are assholes. Yeah. I mean, but Martin was definitely Martin. like the goading he did. But then when his friends were goading mm-hmm. David, he, he pool, started yeah. becoming the protective brother saying, don't do that. Leave him alone. Mm-hmm. So even he was starting to sort of adapt to having David there. Mm hmm. Oh, it's such a weird concept, and I still, like, couldn't wrap my head around it. It was just so, it's all just so strange and wonderful and awesome. And, yeah, I mean, you're basically encroaching on, uh, like, themes of existentialism to a point with this film, which I'm just like, yeah, this is a Kubrick thing. Like, Kubrick's uh, doing doing something here with this. And trying to say things without saying things and putting it through the story he's trying to tell. Yeah. There were some gorgeous shots of David mm-hmm. sort of almost isolated in circles. Mm-hmm. An awful lot. Oh. Yeah. Which like, was the, like He felt like there's almost like light. he's singled out. Yeah. He's isolated. But mm-hmm. It's almost like a halo. Like he's that yeah. innocent. It, yes. It was, it was a really, uh, yeah, it was very, it stood out a lot to me this time, which I don't think it did the first time around. So I may have a bit more. Uh, better at my cinema language now mm-hmm. <laughs> to see that. Well, so. <laughs> and I feel like those those are the shots that you know he had down, had written out or drawn down, and yeah, they felt those felt very Kubrickan. Mm-hmm. But one hundred percent. Yeah, I <laughs> yeah. After watching this the first time, I was like, wow, that was a crazy ride. This is weird. And I was like, okay. I need to watch this again because I feel like there's elements that and layers that I'm missing that things like that you can see. And I feel like if uh, Kubrick would have directed this, there would have been like different scenes that he would have um, expounded on or like done like a major wide shot or lingered longer, things like that. Like I can almost see those elements of where. I felt like, you know, just like just difference in editing between different directors. But there are definitely parts where I'm like, that was totally Kubrick. That was Kubrick. And uh, yeah, so good. I loved it. (laughs) Now, it's it's interesting to me because we get that what you were talking about, Kay, with um, the the swimming pool party. And like he almost drowns. Uh, Martin, because, you know, he's, you know, like the protection mode, the self-protection programming mm-hmm. um, and all that. And so, like, that's when they realize that he needs to go. And 
in my mind, as I'm watching this, I'm thinking, you know, I feel so bad for this kid. But do you think that it was better for her to let him go um, in the woods there rather than taking him to the actual facility where they would like obviously, quote unquote, destroy him? But like he's going to go on lingering about this love that he wants to have for his mother. Yeah, I think it's the I think it's the fact they were going to destroy him that she couldn't you know, she couldn't send him off to be destroyed. I right. think if they'd said like we'll take him back and sort of rehome him and see if we can fix him to not be rebonded to you or like to sort of, you know, like even just to lie and say, "Oh yeah, we'll we'll find a way of reversing it and not telling her that," then she probably would have given him back. Mm-hmm. But the idea that you know, she probably is bonded with him, you know, and you just say, well, you, you wouldn't give your child somewhere to be destroyed. Right. right. You know, I agree she with says, that. Because the last thing she says to him, I'm so sorry I didn't tell you about the world, because she knows he's going to have to survive somehow. And, of course, she's not prepared him for that. You know, no parent can prepare their child for it. But at such You're a right. young age, it's, you know, it's uh, a but to send him off to be destroyed is like, well, at least he has a chance of living a little longer if I let him go. So, mm-hmm. uh, that was such a like my um my movie watching brain was totally following that, but my analytical like person <laughs> brain was just like take that thing like you no know, like this just wasn't right from the beginning. Take him back and be like nah. And then after you see like towards the end where you're just like, oh, God, she should have just taken him back or she shouldn't have. I don't know, because that's what the story tells is like a whole a whole thing. But <laughs> like at the same time, I'm like, he's just AI. He's just a robot. Just take him back. He doesn't have feelings. He's not real. He's not real. <laughs> you know, he's a Pinocchio. He's not a real boy yet. Um, <laughs> but as the movie progresses, then. Gosh, dang it. It messes with my all the things like all of my opinions about robots and AI. I love this movie and hate it at the same time. Yeah, you start to (laughs) you start to bond with him. This is what it is. Yes. (laughs) You sneakily start to bond with him yourself. And then you're like, but I want him to live. He's he would you know, he's he's alive. He's he's a real boy. You know, Mm -hmm. I start telling him you are a real boy. You have feelings, you know. Oh gosh, it makes me yeah no, it breaks my brain apart. I can't I can't handle it. I don't know how to assess any of it honestly. <laughs> but yeah, I I mean, and I think of myself where I'm just like I'm like my only comparison is like my pooper dog Sophie. But I'm like if somebody gave me um like a a where she looks and has all of the same traits as Sophie, but I know she's a robot. No way in hell would I ever, even if she wasn't the real Sophie, there's no way I could do that. None. Zero. I'd be like, nope, stay with me forever. You're awesome. Thanks. (laughs) Even though I know you're not real, I'm okay with it. Right. (laughs) Which goes against every concept that I believe. but. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it gets you. It gets you in, you know, and I... It's that maternal instinct, you know, mm-hmm. and I could see that for sure. I mean, yeah, there's a part of me that believes like he's going to find something, 
you know, mm-hmm. because there's really no such thing as the blue fairy. And so, but when he's going and you see how much he is putting his faith into this, like you start believing it in it too. And you're like, yeah, man, please find this. And uh, we'll talk about if it's satisfying uh, towards, you know, whenever we get there, but you, you want to know, you're just as curious as Gigolo Joe. What do you know? Um, <laughs> as as to what he's gonna find whenever he does, and I think it's great that that uh, Joe wants to help him and is kind of is kind of like his introduction to this world that we see, and he knows all the ins and outs of it and knows Doctor No and all that and. Um, I, I, I just think that Jude Law's character was a really good introduction for David to kind of see the real world and what it has to offer and take away with Brendan Gleeson coming in here as well. I was very surprised seeing him in this role. Yeah, uh, I completely did forget he was in that. And I was like, oh, oh, I know who him. That's Mad-Eye Moody. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I know. And you, you just know right away with the voice. And um, he, he did such a great job with just like the little role he had um, as whatever he was. Uh, but, yeah, so I'm I'm interested. What did you guys think of this middle part, though? I mean, just yeah, I, I would say we're in Act was, 2 now. You know? Yeah, definitely, definitely Act 2. This was what Spielberg put in was the flash fair. You know, there were, oh. I think there was elements from Kubrick, but he really sort of went to town with it, I think. Yeah. And um, I think he went I, to town with it too. Yeah. I think as well, it was quite interesting to have that contrast between David and Joe. That David is quite, is quite an innocent character. His love is very innocent, childlike love, whereas Joe's is definitely not. Um, mm-hmm. And it's almost like you have to have the two working together to get somewhere. <laughs> It felt very like you had those two complete opposites and, you know, what what just working together to, to get us to, to the end, you know. Um, this is where the marriage of Kubrick and Spielberg lies. It's mm-hmm. the whimsical journey of whatever of where he takes um, David with such like Kubrickian things like it's so sexually um yeah, like, it goes from innocent to like X. Yes, yeah. It's so sexually driven. Thank you. That's that's the word I was looking for. Is sexually driven from like act to um with Jude Law's character. Um and I'm not just talking about like the flesh fair, but I'm talking about like the whole area of uh Rogue All City. Of that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean the ladies' legs are or the body is a building or whatever and you just yeah. you have this this area and that is so something you would see in a Kubrick film. But like it's it's weird because it's like doctored into a way of being <laughs> a Spielberg like <laughs> experience, you know? Like you're not lingering on all these shots of women or anything. I mean I I don't know if you guys agree, like I don't think there was that Mm-mm. gratuitous shots of like TNA that you know you usually see in like Fast and Furious but you're put into this this different kind of city and this element and it's just it was yeah. very jarring compared to the first act for me yeah in, oh, uh, yeah. Cinefect, in Cinefex you've got uh, Chris Baker who was the uh, set designer oh. um, saying that he originally that Kubrick originally described the tunnel as just a huge pair of lips and he basically 
sketched a lot of stuff and atta- and sort of uh, worked on the problem. And he added the head himself and then further down oh. the line a torso. And then later drawings used a whole body with legs, with lips as the entry. And he said, and the exit, I'll leave to your imagination. Um, <laughs> but Stanley apparently really liked what he was doing and encouraged him to pursue the idea with all the architecture. And Chris Baker goes on to say, as soon as he said that, I was away. I generated tons of sketches, basically erotic art architecture, some of it extremely risque, even though there was no way it was all going to make it into the movie. Wow. And they shot it all on a blue screen. And this is something that was like from a visual effects point of view is actually um, it was the beginnings of virtual cinema because they had sensors on the ceiling, which would feed back information to the cameras so that they could see in camera what the um, sort of like a mock-up of Rouge City would actually look like. So they could actually follow the characters on the blue screen, see on the monitor exactly what it was going to look like so they could direct the the action a little bit uh, better. And from that, they realized they would actually have to construct an awful lot more because when you have um, digital elements, like all the buildings done in sort of neon, the process of how just wasn't there to do all that because you'd need to do all the lights, the reflections. There's so much to add. So they had to build sort of like the front part of the scenery themselves and then have digital further in the background to sort of reduce down the amount of render time and uh, and lighting that they would need to do. So, yeah, uh, virtual virtual cinema, virtual photography. That's uh, the very beginnings of it back in wow. the, about 20 years ago. So it's very much still the same principle going on with virtual uh, photography now, but the tools are far more sophisticated. So. That is insane. I I, I think that's 20 years ago. Ah. (laughs) I know, scary. (laughs) Go ahead, Quentin. (laughs) Oh, I was just going to say, this is very innovative um, with the way this film looked in every capacity. I mean, the the way that um, David was being worked on on that table and whenever the uh, William Hurt's character is – is uh, taking that drive out of that girl's face and the visual effects that you're talking about, Kay, everything looked really good and polished for a movie that came out in 2001. Yeah. And that was very new technology. A lot of it was very new technology. So, you know, yeah, for sure. I'm sorry. I was just looking up, uh, when this came out, because obviously later on, we're going to talk about how we see New York and there's still the Twin Towers there. And I was just like, wow, this was made in 2001, too. So I was I was just looking at that piece. Oh, yeah, yeah. that was definitely one of those visuals. That you're kind of like, oh, wow. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, because I'm pretty sure they had the two towers still in it. So, yeah, right. it did. So crazy. So wild. Um but yeah, I just got to talk about uh, Jude Law's performance and just his makeup work. Um, yeah, he did. I mean, I know he looked like Jude Law, but he looked like a fake robotic. It was Jude yeah, Law. the way they achieved that oh, was actually quite cool. They basically oh. they were gonna they were playing with silicon, which was quite new at the time, and they decided that was just too much and too heavy. Um, so they, they did a prosthetic for his chin just to give his jaw a bit more chisel and then sort of like blended all that in. And then they didn't like the wigs. <laughs> so after he after the hair was styled, she took like um 
a template for the edge of his forehead and then just uh, sprayed sort of fake paint. And that's what yeah. gave it that look. And that just it was just perfect because she wanted yeah. him to look not human, but not so un- inhuman that he wouldn't be seen as a as an attractive gigolo. You know, you had to have mm-hmm. that that balance between the two. So. Well, I thought he still looked attractive, but, you know, that's just me. I've always been a Jude Law fan. But, no, I could tell that with his hairline and the way it was shaped. I was like, oh, my gosh, I think they sprayed that or painted it on. But Yeah, they did a really good job with, with him, per se. Mm-hmm. But his performance, too, was just – he was just so good. And I know uh, one of the things that Kubrick said where he was, like, trying to – wait to make this movie because he felt like the characters that would be playing AI, he didn't want humans to play them because he felt like human actors could not achieve that. It would look still look too human. He still wanted to have that, um, that AI feel. But I think, um, I mean, yeah, Jude Law and, uh, the kid who played David, I felt like they did actually a fantastic job to where to me, they didn't feel human, but they still, um, what is the word I'm looking for? Like still, still put that human feel into it, but not a hundred percent. Yeah. I think it's because David doesn't actually blink until the end. Yeah. Are you sure? The whole, he does not blink. That's why it works so well. No way. Oh, my blink. gosh. <laughs> I'm going to have to watch this again and again. again. <laughs> uh, no, the more I thought about this and watching it, the more I'm just like, I, this is this. Yeah, this might be my favorite Spielberg movie. Um, <laughs> but yeah, now I'm going to have to pay attention to that. But I think you're 100% right. Just like thinking back and I have the movie playing in the background. I don't think he does. That's amazing. <laughs> Can we talk about how awesome it was to hear Robin Williams as Dr. Neil? Oh, gosh. Yeah. It almost it was, broke I mean, my the heart. The voices they got for people was, I mean, in the in the flesh fair, that first one they're shoving into the cannon, that's Chris Rock. It's Chris Rock. It was so that's Chris weird. Rock's name. That's Chris, it, was it was Chris so Rock's name. Weird. Like, <laughs> it was I know, so it had, I was weird. Like, I recognize that voice. <laughs> And that whole top half of his head, I mean, it looked like him, but yeah, <laughs> it was so creepy and weird. And then I was just like, don't do that. Don't do that. No. Uh, yeah. uh. <laughs> but at the same time, I'm like, no, he's just a robot. It's fine, Amanda. You're okay. Chris Rock is they still bet, here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I like the mix of robots they had. I think they were developing them for months beforehand. And mm-hmm. they got a mix of ones that are fully mechanical and ones that are that just look real they've just got a makeup job and ones that are sort of partially digital mm-hmm. and i think there's one which is the security guard it's actually based on stan winston <laughs> oh, okay he said that they, they couldn't resist doing that so um they made one that's basically supposed to look like him <laughs> oh it's just so yeah so wild yeah. um what about uh what do you guys think of this whole flesh fair and I think it's that ironic that it's called a flesh fair and they're ripping apart robots. <laughs> right? Yeah. Isn't that so weird? It is. Yeah. And the fact that basically the reason why David makes it through is because they think he's actually human. Yeah. Which is. Yeah, they're like robots don't plead for their life, you know? Right? 
<laughs> yeah. And, and I like, like how he goes, he who is out without sin cast the first stone and then he gets pelted with everything. And it's just like that whole, as a crowd, people will bond with that small, innocent figure. Oh, and the fact that he bonkers. holds on to Joe's hand, um, Joe's hand all the time. Yep. You have a lot Robots of that. Robots don't have feelings. Robots don't have yeah. feelings. Yeah, <laughs> he holds Joe's hat. You've got him holding Joe's hand and you have um, Monica holding his hand when he was getting operated on. It's that 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 connection, that hand connection is uh, is quite uh, solid throughout the whole thing. Mm hmm. Oh, and then like when he's being uh, uh, also when all of them, they're being pulled up in the, the netting. Yeah. And he's yeah. terrified because Teddy drops off because Teddy's trying to hold on. Like, yeah. damn you, Kubrick and Spielberg for make. Like, I'm I'm actually just frustrated that I have feelings for AI things <laughs> in this film. It made me bonkers. Uh, but I was just like, no, and it's like he looks so sad. No, he's not sad. He's not sad. He can't be sad. They don't have feelings, but. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't ever want to go to a flesh fair. I don't I don't care how much I'm just not into AI, but I don't want to see that happen either. I'm kind of not down with that. Yeah, I think. Yeah, it's weird. Good. It's just weird. That is cool. Like I, ministry is the band on the on the set. What? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, Kubrick. Yeah, ministry is the band. Like uh, Kubrick picked them on purpose. He liked them. So I like that fact. And apparently yeah. when he first called to say, does he want to be, do they want to do this? They, they hung up on him thinking it was a joke. <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. <laughs> now I was so over, overwhelmed. I didn't actually pay attention, which. Yeah, I listened to their music when I used to go out clubbing and stuff. I mm -hmm. wouldn't have recognized them. I've never seen them live. I don't know what they look like. So <laughs> I didn't know. <laughs> yeah, I just thought it was the background music, but yep. Oh, poor Teddy. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, um, the second round where or the second act where um, David and Jigolo Joe like team up and then Joe's kind of like on this mission to help David, which I thought was also one of those things where I'm like he should be running from what he's being being accused of because he got accused of murder which he obviously didn't do but just even his reaction to that stuff is for Mike that's also the same way a human react would react but if you're in AI you're like oh I am yeah. going to be accused of this so I need to run away and get away from these situations and uh, it's just this whole movie is just a play on like what humans do and what you could create AI to do and you can program certain things to a certain level and almost programming stuff can almost be infinite, just like the human mind. So there's just a really weird parallel to all of that. Yeah. It's, it's really he took out his tracker and everything as well. He mm -hmm. just yeah. cut out the thing that would be able to yeah. track him. It was almost like he freed himself from his programming. So well, that was quite an interesting yeah. angle. And when they, when they had that scene where he's cutting that out of his chest, um, that's when you hear the voiceover of David saying like, I just want to be a real boy. And yeah. I thought that was a thought that was a nice touch. Yeah, because if you think about it, Jiggle Joe is only really programmed to do one particular thing. So for mm -hmm. him to take out that tracker and almost go against his programming, it almost feels like maybe the robots are starting to become a little more aware. Yep. 
100%. They're going to become aware of people, just just so you know. <laughs> Dump all your Alexas and whatnot. <laughs> but, uh, oh, gosh, it's just so crazy. But, yeah, so they make it to uh, New York City. Like, they make it to the destination because we're we're seeking the blue fairy here from Pinocchio. That whole concept, that's the goal of David, and Gigolo Joe helps him out. And they make it to the the city that's covered by water, which is, like we said before, New York. And you can see the Twin Towers, and you see the lions of, was it, is it Wall Street, right? And all yeah, that, that are flowing. Mm-hmm. So what did you guys think of uh, just encroaching on this? New York reveal and David coming into the room and that seeing himself essentially seeing his creator. Yeah. And a very, very sort of the reaction is very much not the reaction of a small boy. New. I think even, yeah, because even Gigolo Joe is standing there like going, okay, I think I'm going to move out this way. Um, Yeah. I'm mm going to take Teddy with me. Yeah, it's like me and Teddy will be over here when you're done, you know. It's like it was such a violent reaction mm-hmm. to find out he wasn't unique. Isn't and I that think, terrifying? It was that whole she's my mother, you can't have her. You know, she just in you know, in case what what would happen if he'd got mistaken for the wrong what if the wrong one came back to you know, the the mother. You right. know, then he would you know, he was so aware that, you know, if something looks like me but isn't me, could it be mistaken for me? Oh, but yes, it was, so it was a very, I'd forgotten about that reaction. I was, it was very shocking. <laughs> it was very shocking. what do you think, Quentin? Yeah, I wasn't expecting that. I mean, throughout this whole film, there are a lot of things that I just wouldn't expect to happen. So seeing him just lash out instead of like having a conversation with him, I mean, it shows that this kid is, excuse me, is very immature in the way that he thinks because they programmed him to be. And he's always going to be this way. And so it was just interesting to see how a a child of sorts would uh, react to something that takes a level of thinking that he's just not capable of doing. Yeah, that that's how you, Yeah, no, it... Uh, yeah, that was not the reaction I was expecting either. Well, one, I was, I mean, like, part of me in the back of my head was like, what if it's him in the chair? <laughs> like, right. not thinking that would be it. I was just being a smartass in my own head, and then, like, it's him. And I was like, and then I, then my brain, like, reeled all the way back to the beginning of the movie, and I was like, son of a biscuit. I was like, <laughs> that guy from the beginning created this kid because his kid died I bet I was like god dang it I was like how did I not see this coming from a million miles away so then I was kind of pissed at myself but yeah (laughs) I I did not expect the violence though or I was like I was like okay then it brought me back because this whole movie I'm getting slowly getting conned into being like connected and emotional and being like oh i just want him to be a real boy and then this is like an immediate break where i was just like nope 
Like, this is not a human. Like, two things here. Like, he's an AI or it's Ted Bundy. Like, you know, like, <laughs> <laughs> like this, this is not a normal human. Nope, nope, nope. We're, we're, I'm back into reality. So it slapped me back into it a little bit that broke off, like, my emotional connection to this character that I was following. And but then after, he would have had that reaction if he hadn't been to the flesh fair. Ooh. Do you think the flesh fair taught him how to Ooh. be violent? You know, now you're toying with me, Kay. <laughs> because that's <laughs> I, an experience I, 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 I and exposure. <laughs> I, I mean, I mean, I, that's a possible truth. That's a possible layer. I mean, if he hadn't seen that, wrong. what if he reacted that way? Because he hadn't been exposed to violence until that point, which is the same for humans. Ugh, Spielberg and Kubrick. <laughs> but you're 100% right, Kay. I, I, yes. I mean, he wasn't exposed to violence, so he wouldn't know what to do. But at the same time, I'm like, it's still an emotion and a reaction. So I don't know. I Yeah. Mm. So many layers to this. So many layers. Yeah. But yeah, then, um, but then after that is that it brings you back down after his quote unquote dad creator is like, blah, blah, blah. Here's the business. And this is what I did. And there's all of these of you. And you've gone so far because of your, your devotion of loving your mother and trying to find, you know, like having this goal and seeking out things to which that's what I start feeling like there's like this like weird like parallel to like, we'll say religion, religious beliefs possibly. Right. <clears throat> can't, you can't uh, deny it, but that's kind of, kind of that layer that happens for me when I watch this. Um, but yeah, he goes into like depression mode, which is yeah. again another feeling. But <laughs> what did you guys think about that? Heartbreaking. Everything about that, just him realizing where he fits into this world, it's just so heartbreaking to me. That, mm-hmm. you know, l- kind of like I said with his anger, he just doesn't know what to do with the grief mm-hmm. and the depression. You know, it's just. You're giving way too many emotions to a child in, like, less than five minutes. And you could just see where it goes from there. And it's just, oh, man, I'm sitting there just like, damn, I'm sorry, kid. Like, I wish I could hug you. Yeah, because yeah. a lot of it is to do with grief, like the mother's grief and the the inventor's grief, like uh, Professor mm-hmm. Hobby's grief. And then his grief. It's like grief is one of the driving forces in throughout the whole film. <laughs> I felt his... His fall from the building was just, it's definitely something I see differently now compared to probably mm-hmm. when I first saw it. Because it was came out in the June of 2001. Oh, yeah, you're right. So that came out well before. So, you know, you see, I've seen it like on either side of the of uh, September 11. So it was very, di- yeah. it's a very different feeling seeing it now compared to how it would have been seen in June back then. So. It's very, oh gosh, that's very true. Uh, very, very true. But yeah, that's, 
kind of where my head was like when he did the violence. I was like, nope. I was like, this is a this is AI. It's not real. But then he has like the breakdown of like trying to process everything where all of us as humans, as people have had things happen to us where we've gone through this exact process. Like you can see the emotional waves and things that Mm -hmm. all of us have gone through. Like you can relate 110% and we've had that depression and we've had that like, you know, loss of confidence and things like that. But then, (coughs) excuse me. Yeah. Cause up until that point he was special. He was unique. And it's that realization we all get at some point that, yeah, I'm, I am just another human being on this planet. This is where I fit in. I am normal. I'm ordinary. You know, mm-hmm. I don't think any of us are, but and you look at it on a grand scale of things. No, I kind of almost went through that sort of thing. Like uh, I went to a small town high school where I was, you know, the captain of the cheerleading president of all the clubs and, like top student and all that and then left my hometown and went to went to college went to a university and then I was just like oh so there's lots of us that are like this <laughs> <laughs> yeah oh maybe I'm not unique but yeah no I'm unique I know now like you know after living life no two people are the same we're exactly. all just a weird bag of marbles <laughs> yeah <laughs> and all of us unique all of us unique but uh it's crazy and then um he goes into the water and a uh, jiggle joe saves him but then also then makes the choice to sacrifice himself to save to save david <laughs> like yeah. these are the not human reaction of all really right to sacrifice yourself for someone else i mean yeah uh, it's crazy and yeah because he yeah sees the blue fairy what did you guys think about the whole blue fairy concept yeah so the blue fairy go for it. i thought <laughs> i don't know like i i was on board with him talking to to her and kind of treating her like an idol like you were kind of talking about amanda with the whole religion based idea and but then he sits there and you know he hits i guess a cable or something and the ferris wheel breaks and i it it traps him and kind of a way because the because teddy says it's like they're in a cage but then he just sits there and they say 2,000 years later. I was like, what? And, I mean, that's more, obviously, <laughs> for the third act or, you know, like the final act. But I was just like, what the hell? You know? And he just sits there. I don't know. Like I said, this movie just takes a turn. And um, from another turn that it already did, like, it's swerving all over the place for me. Um. But this is where that and if like you didn't get the sci fi element before it comes full throttle um, in the final act. But uh, yeah, meeting the blue fairy was just it was just such a such a change from what we were just experiencing um, and the events that lead up to or that that go from it. So I'll just kind of leave it there. 
What about you, Kat? I think, yeah, it, it's almost he might have emotions and feelings, but he doesn't have that understanding, that deeper understanding that it, it's just a fairy tale, that she does not mm-hmm. exist. He's just determined, I want this wish so badly that he just ignores all. There's no logic left. Mm-hmm. He's just become this one wish by the end of it to be a real boy. And by but by wanting it that badly, it's obviously proof that he's not a real boy, which makes mm-hmm. it very sad. That's very Kubrick. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That that is. Where like, <laughs> that's where I was like, kind of like, like the movie could have ended just with him in the water and cut off before this final act. But with that, I'm, I'm just going to go out on a limb and say that, you know, Kubrick was not a devout Catholic or something. Just saying. <laughs> but, <laughs> Why do you say that? I'm just kidding. <laughs> but no, I did. Um, oh, just online searching for stuff. I found a somebody that left a comment like on a on a YouTube video that said, um, "So Spielberg was just trying to grant the wish of a friend, trying to realize a dream that Kubrick was obsessed with for years." Was Steven Spielberg Kubrick's blue fairy? Dang. Right? Mm. <laughs> I was like, uh, yes, 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 yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I see that. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> but I was like, dang, that's deep. But it that's kind of what makes sense a little bit. But yeah, this concept is a blue fairy of, you know, seeking it out for his whole life to grant this wish and. Yeah, like I said, I think there's a parallel that Kubrick was trying to play also into that with a, you know, the concept of like religion. But um, he does get to meet the blue fairy statue, and then she crumbles, and I was like, oh god, that hurt my gut. Shouldn't hurt my gut, but it hurt my gut. Holy <laughs> cow! These <laughs> aliens we meet, or mm-hmm. they're uh, called the specialists. <laughs> okay it, i mean it's it's the mecca they evolved into you know an advanced form it's just like what in the hell like it just like i said this this was a little hard for me to grasp immediately because they're they're uh going around in boxes that just expand and they just can walk out and stuff i was just sitting there and they they're mining and stuff and it was just so insane but like it was just such a weird premise to get to the kind of last scene of the film where, you know, we have David and, and the mother, um, but like everything in between from when it says 2000 years later to that scene that I'm talking about, it, I just, I don't know. It was very hard for me to kind of be on board with it. It was okay. just too weird. Okay. Yeah. I thought they were aliens the first time I was watching it. Yeah, I kind of did too. <laughs> I thought they were aliens. I didn't realize. I was like, okay, there's aliens now. I think that's why I didn't appreciate the ending that it was the Mecca that had evolved mm-hmm. at the time. I was just convinced, like, why are there aliens now? This is just like, where have they come from? You know, right. I didn't. <laughs> so. Yeah, I mean, it just it looked like outer space in the form of ob- oblonged figures that didn't have mouths or facial features or anything. 
So it was just really weird because, I mean, you could look at that like, oh, well, yeah, that's an alien. Because, I mean, it it had hints of um, Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Yeah. And yeah. also the arrival, that Amy Adams film. Oh, to me, yeah. You know, like that's where my mind was going. And so, yeah, I thought it was like some sort of aliens. But to find out that it was um, the Mecca. But one redeeming thing is Ben Kingsley. Because that man has a very soothing voice. Mm-hmm. And hearing him kind of talk to David throughout this whole thing. And, you know, we we didn't really talk too much about the scene where um, David cuts, you know, uh, Mo- is it Monica? Monica's hair. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Monica's hair, which, you know, I thought was just going to be an off offhand scene. Like, oh, well, this just show this is like the last straw for some of them. Um, but that actually comes back in the fact that Teddy, God love you, man, had had this for so long in his, you know, his tufts. Um, you're, you're just sitting there like, OK, that's we'll call back um, yeah. for what we get to see later on. Yeah. And as well, there's like the, it, the we should have, you know, it, it does actually tie in, in the beginning because when David first appears, his silhouette looks like very much like. The Mecca of the future. Mm-hmm. Oh 100%. my God! Yeah. You're yeah. Totally right. And that's yeah, one of which I didn't realize like... either until I was I was like, oh, I see. <laughs> 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 I get it now. <laughs> yeah. Because they held on to that that image for a little bit, you know, so yeah. you could really soak that up. And I even, damn it, Kay, you got me. <laughs> I was even thinking like this has to come back like. Surely we're not going to see aliens, but here we are, you know, kind of with the mesh of, of what it seems to be both. Kind of like the marriage of these two prolific directors, you know? Yeah. And there's like a whole, there's a whole like symmetry to the whole thing as well with um, Martin is very, is frozen at the beginning and revived. And then... Mm-hmm. David is frozen and then revived as well. You've got the whole symmetry with they become more real after. Right. After they've been woken. So. Very, very true. And I can't help but think like at uh, the design of the aliens, not the aliens, the, the Mecca. But, um, you know, we've seen aliens in movies and this is what they look like. But then you can't help to think it was just kind of one of those things to be like. The aliens that people see or we see in movies or we quote unquote encounter maybe are just Mecca from a planet that has gone way past what Earth is right now. Which I believe is definitely the case. We are not the most advanced thing out there. mm -hmm. (laughs) So. Yeah, I can't. Yeah, I can't help think for just this film just the way that it was made and produced that with that quote from that i found online but i mean if you just compare um david and teddy to kubrick and spielberg it's kind of like teddy with spielberg trying to be like all right we're gonna get this movie going we're gonna make it and we're gonna garner this along and we're gonna get you to your end goal to your end place and we're gonna get this done right but uh, yeah, this this final bit 
where he gets to spend finally spend the day with his mother and have like the perfect day knowing that it's only going to be one day long yeah uh, it's kind of heartbreaking but also satisfying yeah i mean with color i think i read a, an article on collider that was talking about how misunderstood the film is mm-hmm. and how the ending is like is it really his mother or is it the mecca you know enacting his mother from all his memories so that he can have that perfect day is it actually really her is it something that you know maybe they could only sort of maintain that form for a specific length of time rather than bring back i mean they're talking about space-time continuum than that, mm-hmm. that we only occupy that whole idea that we only occupy a certain a certain part of it and we can't go back over and do it again yep was quite interesting it was quite a it's quite a very deep philosoph- philosophical aspect to sort of throw in there at the, at the very end you know it's uh that we only occupy this one little bit of timeline and we can't bring someone back to occupy another part of it that's that's our little segment mm-hmm. we can't go beyond that which would kind of imply that it isn't her mm-hmm. but they've just recreated her from the memories that he has yeah. because obviously the hiding in the cupboard the birthday um lots of little bits and pieces like that are very sort of the significant things that he would be remembering from the very short amount of time that he spent with them so mm-hmm. and the fact that teddy had all held on to that lock of hair for so long <laughs> teddy's kind of wild yeah. <laughs> But no, yeah, so I think, yeah, like in my head, just obviously I don't know the science of these uh, these creatures, but using the DNA to recreate, which they say, um, like, yeah, being a person that does hair, uh, your hair actually tracks a lot of your life. Like if you were to break it down. Right. It can show you like where you've um, maybe not eaten well or where you've done drugs or you were super hydrated like it can show a lot of those elements so i found that the the hair dna stuff was for me like pretty fascinating and yeah um with uk too i kind of went back and i was like it's her it's just her memory work it's her dna recreating an image but it's also working with his memory and whatever memory was left in that dna sample that they found and yeah Oh, it's just so crazy. Yeah. I mean, the implication that they create the blue fairy to sort of pass the information to him mm-hmm. because he seems to believe the blue fairy more than the Mecca of the future. Yeah. Kind of does imply that it's not really her, that they can maintain that form for a little bit just for that. Yeah. She's just basically a clone. Sort yeah. Of. But not to the full form, I don't think. No, not like no. She's <laughs> been recreated with the few memories that are there, not um, mm-hmm. and maybe because they yeah. he, he's the as I said, you know, he's the only person they know that has had contact with living people. So oh, that's so crazy too. Yeah. So yeah, she's not a clone like from Orphan Black, where it's pretty awesome. But um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, yeah. So at the end, what do you guys think happens? Does this AI uh, die? Apparently Spielberg confirmed that he does die, yeah. <sighs> I know, it's so sad. It's so sad, but I'm like, uh, but he's an AI, how? 
<laughs> that means Teddy is alone and I hate it. <laughs> Which, yeah, this whole last bit was all, yeah, Spielberg said, like, this is all 100% Kubrick. A lot of people, when they initially watched this, thought this was like an add-on by Spielberg. And Spielberg was like, mm, this was not me. This part right. definitely was not me. Not mine. So, yeah. oh, gosh. Pretty sure they're relying on everyone crying so much they can't actually see what's going on. So, mm-hmm. yeah. That's true. That's true. Oh, so sad. But, yeah. Um. So, we're at the end of it. So, ratings time. Uh, Quentin, where are you going to give this out of three reels? Oh, boy. Um, so, I mean, I I think I tried really hard to make this, you know, a good positive negative kind of um, review of this film because there's a lot of great things in this and there's just some things in this film that left me scratching my head and thinking, like, what the hell, you know? And I don't know if I agree with every choice that was made for this film because it just feels like it 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 genre hops with each act. You know, we get like a very almost um, eerie kind of feel in act one. Act two is just like very whimsical adventure. And then act three is very much like this very much like a Kubrick film. I mean, it has the very big sci-fi um, aspect to it, but also just like that feeling of just, oh, like you just, you know what I mean? Like you just can't, you can't understand why <laughs> they would have such heartbreaking shit in a film sometimes. And you're feeling all of this for a robot. But I think that it does well enough that um, it's, it's enjoyable. It's very much enjoyable, um, even though things are boring. But I don't know if I'm ever going to really watch this film again, uh, personally. So I think I'm going to just stick with a 1.5 out of 3. Okay. What about you, Kay? I'm going to give it 2 out of 3. I think for all its minor, for all its flaws and its small inconsistencies, it's a much better film than I remember it being. I think the years have been much kinder to it than I was expecting as well. And that's what I would say to people is like, get, watch it again because 20, if it's not something you've seen in 10 years, your life experiences and your expectancies and the way technology has changed will change your perspective on how you watch it too. So definitely, definitely. Um, yeah, for me, I'm giving this a 2.5. Um, just, I could, this is a movie I could watch definitely more than once and just breaking down the layers and everything. And I just still want to know what happens to Teddy at the end because it makes me so sad. But yeah, he's just chilling out there. <laughs> well, and it's like, what is he going to do? Hang out with like robot aliens? Right. Like, mm. Let's like, see that oh. spin off. They'll probably, they'll probably quiz him on what living people were like. So what their perspective of that's going to be after Right. Like, oh, my no first idea. owner was Martin, and he was kind of a dick. Um, <laughs> Everybody was so tall. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, poor Teddy. Uh, that, that, like, made my heart sad. And then when I found out, like, you know, that that was 
a full-on intention of Kubrick. I was like, Arr. so this is like you know, maybe the softest story that Kubrick has um, put out there. And this is definitely probably the most bizarre film for Spielberg. So I kind of like that combination. Um, but yeah, it's a 2.5 because I'll definitely rewatch this. And I love the layers and just even discussing it for this today. But um, yeah, just hearing your guys' perspectives and the different things. So yeah, it was entertaining. And uh, not going to lie, the, music's, the music killed in this movie. It was awesome. But, you know. For sure. Well, it's a John Williams film. <laughs> and I was like, considering it's John Williams. But probably yeah. one of, I mean, other than the obvious, one of my favorite John Williams scores from just like kind of like a, a random movie, I guess. For sure. <laughs> All right. So pretty, pretty good outing there. I yeah. guess we're averaging <laughs> around a two there. So watch it, kids. And if you have yeah. watched, let it, if you have watched it, let us know if you hated it first or loved it first. Maybe we changed your minds. Yeah. And um, if you need, if you want to get on top of this movie and talk to us and our guest host, Kay, um, just check out the Real Zodiac group on Facebook. We're all there. We don't have a ton of members, but we have some discussions on the films that we're doing, and if you want to bring anything to the table, you are more than welcome to. Like I said, The Real Zodiac Group on Facebook. Email us at therealzodiac uh, at gmail.com. Um, you can get in touch with us there. You can get in touch with us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, any of the things. And uh, we love to hear your thoughts. We love to hear your thoughts on films that we haven't done as well. I mean, if there's a film you're like, hey, you guys should really talk about this because I think this would be in your style – we're going to listen. So we really appreciate Kay having you on. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for inviting me. I really enjoyed having this, this outing of watching AI again. Yeah. Yay. And that's, that's kind of the big thing. We love doing that with our guests and giving them a reason to watch a film they haven't seen in a while or a film that they maybe never had an interest in seeing at all. So we're very thankful to have wonderful guest hosts every week. And Kay, you are definitely welcome back anytime. I would love to come back for sure. Yay. Well, Amanda, is there anything else you want to add before we get off of here? Nope. I'm good to go. All right. Well, then we will see you guys later. This concludes our sci-fi, actually. I forgot to mention that. We are going to be moving on to sports and martial arts after this. And we have our movies picked out. We have our guests picked out. um, And... I don't know if I should really give you guys a little sneak preview of what we're doing. It's going to be a double feature and it's on a film. It's, a, uh. it's on two films that, um, there you go. That's all you need. So, uh, be on the lookout for that. We'll have more information on the films we'll be doing for our sports. Um, we're really excited. So we'll catch you later. And as always, keep it real. See you guys.